Hello and welcome to the podcast, How Did You End Up Here? I'm Jamie Hare and I'm talking to people in interesting jobs and finding out what path they took to get there. This week I'm talking to musician, producer and lecturer Paul McGee. Firstly, just give me your current job title. <laughs> yeah, well nice to talk to you Jamie. My job title, I'm a lecturer at UWS. Uh, an ear, and I also am the program leader for commercial sound production. So, lecturer on commercial music and program leader for commercial sound production. And one of the one of the sort of most exciting things, uh, the reason to one of the reasons to speak to you today is that the you've just released an album. We're recording this on Friday the fifth of June, so it's a week since yep. your second album that you've released under the Starless. Uh, uh, Banner, if you like, Earthbound. Um, can you can you just talk to me about the well? Firstly, the idea behind the whole Starless project in the first place. Sure. Well, uh, the first Starless album came out <gasps> May two thousand and sixteen. So it seems like a long time ago. And as you <laughs> say, the last the new one, Earthbound, just came out uh, last Friday. So four years between them, but. Uh, I, I was a musician anyway. I, I entered the music industry in 1980, I think. Well, we can go back and talk about that later on. But uh, And then I had been through bands through to about 1994. And then my career kind of took a different path. The band split up and I wanted to stay within the music industry. But... And I also wasn't really qualified at that point to do anything else anyway. So... I'd always wanted to run studios and so forth. Uh, from a teenage uh, years onwards, I always wanted to, to be a producer and run studios. So that's what I did for you know the next twenty years or so. That uh, studio-based work and so forth became uh, got into teaching and so forth at Perth College, and then developed that through the years also. But then, because I became a producer, engineer, and ran studios, I really I suppose that. It's a time thing, you know, that's management and so forth. And I just basically got out of playing. I had been in one or two other uh, bands, Sugartown, Cowboy Mouth and stuff, but very much in a part-time basis. And then, uh, I don't know, about 12, 14 years ago, I thought, oh, I'll make a record. But I had a, a, an accident and I hurt my uh, hand, so I, I couldn't really play. So I just shelved that. And then about uh, 10 years ago, I thought again. Well, actually, it came around, I suppose, and I was in a band called Love and Money. And Love and Money uh, reformed. Now, I can't remember exactly what, when it was, but, you know, about, I think it was eight years ago, uh, and we did some shows, and... Uh, they were very successful, and that kind of just made me want to play again. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't really missed it to be quite honest. And it was just the fact that we did those shows, and we played the Royal Concert Hall, and it was sold out. It was very exciting, and it just kind of—I had to learn to play again a wee bit and uh, go back. And it just got me kind of excited. Also, got rid of all my keyboards, so right. I got, just got back into stuff. So, and then uh, the idea behind Starless Wars. I mean, I must admit, it took me a wee while to find a direction because there's lots of different music, different styles. And one of my colleagues, David Scott, poor David, had to listen to all my ideas in the car for a year. I think that's why he sold his car. He's <laughs> 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 on public transport. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen to all these different things, you know, you know very supportive. But uh, one of the ideas was, 
I've worked with so many people over the years and great singers and so forth, and I don't sing myself. So that was going to dictate how the album went anyway. So my, my decision was rather than to work with one singer, I thought I would work with lots of people that I had worked with and really enjoyed working with and had great voices. And then maybe try and be brave enough to ask a few people that I hadn't worked with before and, and do that. So it's quite, it was quite a, an eclectic bunch of folk that did the first record. I also orchestrated it uh, and recorded with the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, who we'd worked with on a remix of Strange Kind of Love, one of the Love and Money songs. And because it's so broad and so many different singers, the orchestration kind of helped pull it together. You know, it helped a continuity sound of sound in, in one sense. But there's underlying themes, there's themes of the ocean, and there's themes, themes of longing and belonging in there. So they're all kind of, and it's a trilogy, so we've got one more to do. <laughs> but the theme runs through the three and so forth. So. Well, it's it, it, funny because definitely listening to Earthbound, it definitely, it feels like the next part yeah, from yeah. from the first one. So, you, like some of the names you worked on across, across the two records so far, people like Paul Buchanan, uh, yeah. Chris Thompson, your old yeah. bandmate from from Friends Again, um, Mary Claire Lee, Julie Fowlis. Um, yeah. do, do you, when you start to write a, a track, do you have someone in mind, or do you collaborate with them in the writing of it, or do you write it and then? go, oh, this would really work for, for someone. Can you talk me through that process? There's a wee bit of both. Uh, there's also some songs that I didn't write. So on the new album, there's a song by Stephen Lindsay, who wasn't on the first record. So Stephen was the singer in The Big Dish. He, he's an artist. And I've always loved his voice. Uh, we kind of, we, you know, we didn't know each other well, but our paths have crossed a, a few times. And there was a song in his, uh, one of his solo albums that I really loved called Breakdown. And I thought I'd quite like to do a version of that. And I spoke to him about it and he said, why don't, who are you getting to sing it? I said, well, why don't you sing it? <laughs> and he thought that was odd asking him to sing one of his own songs. And, but he, we, we worked together and he really enjoyed it. And I think it turned out really well. I'm really pleased with that. And then we wrote a song together, a new song uh, called Somewhere in the Night, which again I'm very pleased with. It's kind of, I think it's a bit Bowie-esque. Some people say it's quite Bond-like. But on that particular track, I had a whole arrangement. And it was based around a string part I had. So I had a whole arrangement and I just gave the, the backing track as it was with program strength and so forth at that point. I hadn't recorded the orchestra and said to Stephen, see if you can write anything around this. And I do that quite a lot where I give people a whole piece of work so it's structured as a song or a soundscape or whatever it is. Now that doesn't work for everyone. Not everyone's comfortable working that way. Some people can, some people can't. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I do a lot of that. Uh, and then sometimes people come together. So uh, Jerry Burns on the new record, now I've known Jerry for years, but I sent her a track, I sent her two tracks and then she came over to sing one, but we ended up doing a different one. And she, she, she had some ideas. We just, she sang them in the studio and that, that kind of formed from there. Uh, Chris Thompson, it was actually an interesting one because obviously Chris and I were at school together and started our first band. Mm -hmm. But then we hadn't worked together really since Friends Again uh, split up. And I'd finished this track at, 
this is something that doesn't happen to me very often. Where, well, I, 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 have, I suffer from insomnia, so sometimes I'll get up and just come in here into the studio. And this day I woke up and I had a whole track in my mind, uh, lyrics and everything, which I don't normally have. Uh, and I just came in and recorded the whole thing. I had it finished in a couple of hours. And I played it to my wife, minus my auto-tuned vocal. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, you should get Chris Thompson to sing that. Yeah. And it was bad, you know, it wasn't mine. And I thought, wow, I hadn't thought that. Mm. So I, I got in touch with Chris, sent him the track over, and I said to him, here's what I've got, here's some lyrics, use them if you want, don't if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. And he ended up keeping a few lines from it and then writing around that. Yeah. And uh, he took it back to, quite interestingly, it's a song called uh, Misty Nights. Mm -hmm. And he took it back to our childhood. In fact, you, you worked on the video for that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he took it back to our kind of formative years of when we started Friends Again. It's a kind of based around the story of that. It's quite, quite interesting. So it was quite, I suppose in a sense, it was quite emotional, you know, hearing yeah. it back. But that kind of, so Chris and I have now done two, and you know, we're doing quite a few tracks together now, and it's kind of, it's developed quite nicely. We've got yeah. a new track on. The uh, Earthbound called Spellbound, mm -hmm. uh, and again I had a piece of music which I gave to Chris. Mm -hmm. No lyrics. He wrote the lyrics and that, and then also wrote another piece of music that we then put together. So yeah. it was very much a, a Lennon McCartney thing. In that sense, <laughs> two people with di different ideas and put them together, but that worked really well. Sweet mystery and 
through these hours that you found In a fleeting fame In a guttering shame Let the old worlds collide And a new world arise Don't you spell mouth There must be something really nice about you, know, you work with Chris when you know you're teenagers. Yeah. And, you know, you're not. I'm not suggesting you're old by any means. you mean? You know, you've got. You know, you're a fat. You know, you know, you're a bit older now. You've had a bit more life experience, whether it's children and on and you know all the rest of it. And you've you've had a, you've had your you've had careers and stuff. And you can. It, it's kind of it's a come full circle. Is that that must be something? That must be something really nice, is it? Well, it, it, it is, and there's a song on the the album. Again, you you mentioned it before we started this. Uh, my son plays on, yeah. and my son is older now. My oldest son is older now than Chris and I by a, a quite a bit than Chris yeah, and yeah. I started friends again. Yeah. But I know this is an audio piece of work rather than a video that I'll show you. Yeah, yeah. Wow, drum machine I built when I was at school. Wow. So you actually, and it was a kit. And anyway, so there's a song on the album called Calvary which Chris and I wrote in 1980. Yeah. Uh, and it had never been recorded, so there was a live version of it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, I, I always liked it, but we never, it just didn't suit what Friends Again became. It was an early Friends Again song. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, I'm going to do a version of that. And so I, I, I worked on a, the track and everything, listened to the old live version to remind me of what it was. And then sent it to Chris and said, can you rework this? And he did, he reworked the, the lyrics. He wasn't happy with some of the lyrics. Kept some couple of lines that we really liked and reworked some of it. And then it's, it's on this record. So, and funnily enough, uh, a German label decided to release the early Friends Again recordings in November of last year. Right, and that track is on. The, the, that album, so 40 years. But I'm really pleased with it. I, I, you know, it's one of those tracks, and uh, the guitarist that was on Friends Again before James Grant, Andrew McGurk, he used to, everyone used to live round about where I'm living now uh, in Bothell, and the guitarist, Andrew, that was in the band from Bothell, I thought, I'll get in touch with him, see if he wants to play guitar on it. So he lives in Barcelona now. Right. Phoned him up. So a lot of the work I do is also not only collaborations, but it's also, you know, file exchange, yeah. social distancing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, social yeah. Distancing. You were ahead of your time on that Head of the curve. So a lot of, you know, I'm working with people in Australia, wherever, you know, yeah. sent files back for. But uh, I, thought, I got in touch and said, I'll send you the files over. Yeah. And he said, it's okay, I'm in Glasgow, I'll be over tomorrow. <laughs> so he'd been over uh, on holiday, so he came over and did the guitar. So a few of so that was quite nice, and then Josh played guitar on it as well. So yeah, so yeah quite cool.
two other parts that I'm really interested in is the well, firstly the orchestration. I see you've worked yeah. with the Prague Philharmonic. Do, do yeah. you write that yourself? And, and or do you it's a combination. I can't. You know, I've got no musical training at all. At all. Uh, I did have one piano lesson in 1984 when my first album came out. Right. And the piano teacher says, do me a favour, don't waste my time nor yours. So I didn't follow that advice, but no, I haven't had a formal training, so I don't read. Right. So what I will do, it depends on the track, but for example, uh, Somewhere in the Night, the, the track I did with Stephen, the main theme was a string part, which I'll just play or program it. Sometimes yeah. I'll just do it in Pro Tools or, or Logic and just move notes about yeah. until I'm happy. So I had a, a basic arrangement for that and then I work uh, with people, Whitfield, who is a great arranger and I'll send him my MIDI files. And in that particular case, then he wrote other parts and augmented it. So augmented mine, added bits and then back to me and I'd made changes to that. Yeah. And it's a, it's a kind of two-way two-way thing. Sometimes I'll have a complete thing that I give to Pete, sometimes I won't have a starting point and Pete will do it. So it's a combination, but Pete's great. But uh, the, the great thing for me is even if Pete does something that I haven't started, it's because we're just using files, I can then change that to how I hear it. Because everyone's going to do something differently. So, But again, it's, it's heavy rel reliant on technology. If we didn't have the technology, then I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, there's a track in the first album, uh, The Surge of the Sea, it's a Gaelic song. And I had recorded a version of that with Karen Matheson before for her solo album, mm -hmm. which I really liked, but I, I wasn't. And I, and I felt as though I had never finished the strings on that one. Mm -hmm. So I revisited that and I had a complete string part for that, gave it to Pete. He then ornamented that and put new parts in where I hadn't. And then I was on holiday in Italy, I remember, and I spent three days editing that to get every note how I wanted it. So, <laughs> so yeah, just using a laptop, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, just, it's the equivalent of paper and you know, whatever. So. Back in the day. And the other thing is the, um, the sort of incidental noises, maybe the field recording, whether it's wave crashing, Morse code, yeah. the walking clock so, is on this. Do, do, you, do you go out and record them yourself? And um, A lot of it. And the, I, I made a point of going to, to Harris to record the sound of the ocean. Uh, my wife and I were on a... a a trip for our anniversary and I took a lot of microphone. <laughs> Is that cheesy? Well, that's that the case with you? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was great, you know, we, we drove, uh, we had a really nice holiday, but I took some time to, to capture sounds. Like there's a track uh, on the on the Earthbound, it's essentially a Gallic track, it's essentially about a, someone losing a, a, her partner through a shipwreck and it's a journey from Stornoway to Harrison, so I thought, right, I'm going to go there and record the sound of the sea for that track. Yeah. Which turned out very fortuitous because we'd been out driving and we passed an artist's uh, studio. Mm -hmm. And I drove by it and Adrian said, oh, we should go back and go into that. And I said, yeah. oh, she I don't know, and then we said, yeah, okay, so we went back. And I met an artist in Rebecca Globe, mm -hmm. uh, and I 
photographer at work as well. You've, you've got a copy of the album, you'll see your work. Our work was fantastic. I just thought, that's amazing. She happened to be there at the time. So we got chatting and I said, have you ever had your work used on the album sleeve before? Yeah. And she said, no. So I asked if it would be okay to do so. And the, the thing was, that work, I think, still it ties into the first cover. And uh, we'd already, Kenny, the artist, you'd already got images, which aren't dissimilar from Becca's, but they weren't as relevant, and the went the, the piece that went as good, and so I asked her to use one, but then Kenny went to our website and used lots of them, and I went back, yeah, yeah. and said, that's cool. But it also was better because it was from the area that a lot of the songs. Right, fantastic. And it all just, it all just came together really quite magically. Yeah. In that so I was, that, that was a great trip in more ways than one, and we've kind of, we're going to go, when lockdown's over and, and do a performance at Becca's uh, lovely studio in Harris when it's all over. So uh, her and her uh, other artists, they, they, they restored an old church themselves. It's amazing. Studios. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, in a lot of the sense, whether they're electronic or fine sound or whatever, I, I mean, myself, and the, the, the construct of the albums, which I know you've heard, they're kind of they're meant to be one piece, the kind of flow. It's not song stop song stop. Yeah, so they're yeah. all tied together with incidentals or yeah, light yeah. motifs so, or that kind of thing. So I, I, I really enjoy doing that, that kind of stuff.
So I was really interested in sound. My dad was a, a radio enthusiast. He played accordion a bit. He tried different instruments, chanter, sound drum, all sorts of stuff. He was very interested in the history of Scotland. He was interested in garlic. He was interested in music. And uh, there was always music on the house, whether it was my mum playing classical music, my father playing Jimmy Shand or Hank Williams. And some music was always in the house. Mm-hmm. And I was influenced, I suppose, subconsciously from my dad, listening to all these different things and the radio and toying with instruments. But then, I suppose, at the age of, I don't know, maybe 13, something like that, I kind of, I got into Emerson Lake and Palmer, which everyone, was the wrong time to do that. <laughs> 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 it was listening to modern stuff. But I think it, what interested me was the piano playing and the synthesizer sounds. It wasn't necessarily the songs or whatever. It was, just, it was what was this thing that made this sound? The sound construct, that's what interested me there. And then I suppose I got interested in pop music and so forth. And I remember the first time I ever heard Dreams, I was visiting my friend Colin again in Essex. And Dreams came on the radio and uh, Fleetwood Mac and I was just like, wow. I think I was 15. I was like, what is this? And that was it, you know. just. But from the age of 11 onwards, I, I had a radio up my head all the time. Just yeah. music. All, all the time. And then friends again, people used to call me Walkman because I bought the first Walkman. Yeah, yeah. So always, all, always sounding, you know, that, so I was more interested in sounding than I was in being a musician to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. And I bought a synthesizer. So I met Chris Thompson, uh, Summer's Day. Uh, I'd gone into Hamilton, I lived in Nottingham at the time, and the music shop and had just got in a, a mini Moog. And I thought, I'm going to go and have a wee shot of that. So I went yeah. to the music shop, but I couldn't pluck up the courage to have a shot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it was so expensive as well, you know. But anyway, I was dead excited seeing this. And I came down the road, couldn't get in the house, went for a walk and I met Chris. Yeah. And Chris was walking up the road with about six Bowie albums under his arm. He'd just got a wee summer job, so he had a bit of money. So we just get talking. You know, we weren't really friends yeah. at that point. And we just got talking and we said, let's start a band. He could play guitar yeah. and I, I was going to buy a synthesizer. So I persuaded my dad to take me to a music shop in Thompson's in Glasgow and let me sign up for a weekly payment. You, 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 there was no yeah. credit. You didn't get credit in that sense. It was just he yeah. got a book. Yeah. And I've still got the book. I think it was 6.70 a week for this synth. Uh, when I was 17, so, and, you know, I could make some noises with it. I went to play Our Friends Electric and, you know, the model and all that kind of stuff, one stuff, you know, messages. Yeah. So that's it. And we had a wee kind of school band that we, we used to play in. And, and it was always going to be music. Did you ever, you didn't ever think, oh, I might be a doctor or... An engineer or a teacher or other. Well, I studied electronics. Right. I went to college to do electronic engineering, uh, and at that time it was City and Guilds, and I left in year two, mm-hmm. and I left in year two because year one we were friends again, year two we got offered a publishing deal, so it was like that electronics or yeah, 
rock and roll, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a tough choice. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. And Frenzy, can, so can you talk us through Friends again? Just, you know, yeah. a, a, what you had, you had you had one album and five singles, is that right? I couldn't, t- we had one album, I can't remember how many singles, it would be about that. I mean, the, the album was re- reissued again in November right. uh, by Cherry Red, and they put all the, you know, all the B-sides and everything on, because the album, the original album came out in November 84, mm-hmm. so there was no CD yeah. for the singles and stuff, there was a CD for the album, but there was no CD single, so all the singles got put on this one, and they did a really nice job. They got in touch and uh, said, would I get involved? And I did. I'm really glad I did because a lot of the tapes came from Abbey Road and stuff. And, you know, not not wrongly labelled, but it was just so many versions of things. Yeah. If I hadn't got involved, it would have been pretty tricky to to, to put them all together. So so that turned out really nice. So Friends Again, what album, as you see, most like the five singles. We toured a lot supporting the Bluebells. Mm-hmm. The Bluebells, Ken and David are from Bottle as well, so we all used to kind of hang out and know each other. Uh, uh, so Friends Again, we started, I can't remember when we, we must have signed a publishing deal 82, I think, and then the record contract just after that and the album came out 84. But before the album came out, we toured all the time, did yeah. quite a lot of TV, radio. And I was saying to Chris, I said, you know, when we were working on the re-release, I was saying to Chris, it's surprising how many people have a, a huge fondness for Friends Again. Yeah. And you wonder why. And a lot of them, because, you know, we were doing shows with the Bluebells, but we didn't, we split up the week before the album came out. Right. Looking back on it, it's absolute craziness. Yeah, you yeah. know, and we got offered the tube and we didn't do it. And it was just, you just, it just come to an end. But there's all these people that wanted to see us that never got to see us. And we were meant to be doing a show, but of course, COVID-19 is put to pay yeah. to So we'll see what happens. Yeah, so, so friends again, myself, Chris Thompson, Andrew McGuck, Colin McGowan, Neil Cunningham. Uh, that was the first version. And then James, Grant and Stuart Kerr joined the band. And that's friends again that everyone kind of knows. And that was great fun. We were just, you know, kids learning what we were doing and having fun, really, you know. And, uh, we worked in a studio, Palladium, in Edinburgh with John Turner, who the, with the Cocktail Twins and all these other young Scottish bands were working. It was just a great time, you know. And it was just, it was great fun. We were very, very fortunate. And then Friends Again lasted till 84, when we split up, James and myself and Stuart started. Love and Money and Love and Money went 84 to 94. Mm-hmm. And you, you'd... Uh... Some of the some of the headlines I'd garnered from uh, from having a look. So you'd, you'd four studio al- studio albums, and you su- you also supported the likes of BB uh, King, mm-hmm. U two, and Tina Turner. I mean that that must be pretty that, exciting as well, is it? That sort of that, that sort of occasion. It was. I mean, we did quite a lot. We supported Simply Red. We did that. We obviously Love and Money did it, all their own shows as well, but. Yeah. He supported these acts to try and get to a bigger white, a, a bigger audience, and so forth. So, BB uh, King was, you know, that was in nineteen eighty five, our first album. Yeah, well, uh, where was that? Well, that was the whole tour in Britain, ah, okay. Edinburgh, Playhouse, all sorts. Hmm. But he was, he, he was a charming person, and it was a good person to be in tour with. Good band and all that. It was just yeah. really, really good fun. Yeah. Uh, the U two one. 
and that was at Murrayfield, that was the, the, the concert at Murrayfield, and that was, I just remember, you came up the back to the stand, so you walked up onto the stage, and I just walked up on the stage, and you just thought, God, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, I've got a great photograph uh, somewhere on Facebook, I think, that's taken from behind me, mm-hmm. and you can just see, like, 40,000 folk, but there's quite a few folk with Love and Money t-shirts on, which was just a big bold Love and Money in red. Yeah. It's like our audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we sold all our two t-shirts in that one afternoon. Yeah, plenty of people came to see you. <laughs> and then uh, we did another one at the Albert Hall, was kind of like that, and that was with the queue and various bands. It was a big uh, charity thing. And I remember that was another one. You're just like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, was another gig. That was, but, you know, we did... We did three nights at Barrowlands, and you just like, wow, yeah. this is, it still is for people. You know, Barrowlands yeah. is still the place to play. No, and well, as you say, as well as as well as supporting people, many big headlining acts, headlining in your own right. Yeah, which are invo- available on on YouTube. I think it's a great show that you did in Inverness on online. Oh, yeah, that's, maybe a, it was maybe filmed for the television. Eden Court, I think. It's yeah, called. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I, I can't remember what year that was done, but. The songs from the second album. Yeah. And yourself and James are sitting. Yourself and James are sat back in next to a country stream or something chatting. I should have remember that, yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's some, there's, I mean, there's a lot of videos out there as well. I remember coming home one day and all my kids and cousins were sitting around the kitchen table with my, uh, with my brother-in-law, Raymond Wilson who is also in the music industry. My other brother-in-law, Mark Wilson, he managed the Bluebell Soap. Yeah. Everyone was connected. But Raymond runs a company called ESP, which is the big kind of music hire company in Scotland. But he's sitting with all the kids around the table and they're all laughing and I go and they'll stop. I thought, what's going on? And what it was, was it was really early YouTube. Right. And the kids, all the videos. You see, and they were all laughing. But that's the thing, you know, Videos, you made videos in the mid to late 80s and you, you know, you get them on MTV if yeah. you were lucky and kids TV programs. So it was a big thing was doing videos, but the amount of money you spent and so forth. So there's, there's videos of others in you know, Japan, Mojave Desert, all these kind yeah. of ridiculous things. But uh, it's how you promoted at the time. Yeah. It was different. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy, did you enjoy like filming them if you're in the middle of a heavy Devitt and they spot someone? <laughs> oh, right, can you walk this way and look moody or what? How does it work? I can't see. I really enjoyed videos or photo sessions. <laughs> it wasn't really my thing, but I do remember in my he- Mojave Desert getting like, wandering off, and the guy was like, "That ah, no, you can't walk over there. There's snakes." <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I can't do a wee walk. So I mean, I enjoyed the tri- uh, I enjoyed the trip, and I enjoyed the, the trip to Tokyo to make uh, Halloween. But I can't say I really enjoyed, you know, being filmed for four or five days in no, a no. Rosie. No, wasn't and, really just no. part and parcel of what you had to do. And many of those songs that you wrote, you know, they're still still fondly received in Scotland to this day and 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 and, and beyond. Um, you know that, that you frequently hear them on the radio and things. It must, yeah. that must still give you a buzz, is it? If you, you hear one of your songs come on the radio, it's still nice. I mean, James was a, you know, James Grant. He, he, he's a great writer, and you know, Love and Money was a, it was a. It was a a lot of the time it was a fun band to be in. It was an exciting time, you know. Yeah. But 
I think in one way to sum up, you know, to get out of your bed and be a mu musician, that you, you're privileged that a record company will support you, and that's all you have to do. That's all we did. So we were yeah. just, for 10 years, we were afforded that luxury. In fact, if you count friends again, you know, 14 years of luxury of just getting out of your bed and being a musician and not have to do anything else. Yeah. It was a fantastic time. But we did work hard, and, you know, James was a great writer. We loved, I mean, the, 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 the Love and Money album that a lot of people would know would be Strange Kind of Love. You know, it took us a year to, to make. Uh, we toured it for a year, year and a half, whatever it is. So at one point, you do get fed up here and seeing 10 songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Worked with them for so long. But yeah, it's nice when you turn on the radio and you'll hear Jocelyn Scalia or Hallelujah Man, Strange Kind of Love or whatever. Yeah. And people, as you say, have a fondness for them. You know, and James will still play some of those songs at his solo shows and stuff, and they're still really. And yeah. the audience still really want to hear them. So, so that's nice. I think there's some talk of a, there was a reissue of Strange Kind of Love. I think there's some talk of a vinyl reissue of that as well. I think Cherry Red are also quite interested in doing a package. So that there's still an audience, which is nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and you've played fairly recently as, as Love and Money, haven't you? In the last five or six years, am I right? I think it was seven years ago. Seven years ago, yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Time goes by, you know. Of course. So it does go by quickly, but yeah. Oh. I'm sure, and everyone, I'm sure it might be longer. It's night. I think it was 2012. I think it was 2012. Yeah. So yeah, we played the concert hall, and that was Don Shaw asked us to do it. And we did two albums. We did Strange Kind of Love, which was a kind of the album that sold most, and then the third album, Dodging the Traffic, that had got a lot of critical acclaim. We decided to do both. Yeah. So we did one and then the other, uh, and that was great because you know played the concert hall. It was sold out got a stand innovation when we walked on stage. So yeah, yeah. that's a really nice yeah. position to be in. It's just, you know, it went better than we expected. So, and we had great fun, so we did some more. recording and things at what point obviously you've said you were obviously interested in sound and that was one of your you know your yeah. passions through your through your father and, and your mother's music and whatnot and um, yeah. what point did you say did you think well I could be on the other side of, of this rather than being recording at the piano or, or, or whatever did you think I, I could be the other side operating the desk and, uh -huh. and influencing producing and that when did that become a thing? 
as I say, from the age of 15, that's what I wanted to do more than be a musician. But of course, I, I didn't do it at that point. I suppose because I studied electronics, I had a certain knowledge about how that kind of stuff works, although I hadn't any experience. And it was kind of highlighted with Love and Money. We were doing a fourth album uh, called Little Death, and the record company dropped us. Right. Yeah, pardon me. The accountants finally pulled the plug and said, these guys aren't going to be able to pay this amount of money back. Right. But we were very fortunate, again, that we actually, the, I can't remember what the sum was, but we got a, a kind of final sum from the money. So we invested some of that, and James invested some of his money in a 16-track recording setup. So it was a tape-based 16-track, mixing desk, and we put it in James's house. Right. So we would go into a studio, uh, St. Clair or Savannah in Glasgow, record drum tracks and stuff, and then go to the house and do all the overdubs to make it affordable to finish the record. Yeah. No one knew anything about studio stuff, so it was up to me to, to read about it and learn. Uh, yeah. So I just got a couple of books that you could get, how to wire up a studio and set it up. The electronics background helped there, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think the other guys would mind me saying at that point they wouldn't have had a clue how to do it anyway, so it fell on me. But the great thing about it was for us all, you know, in one way it was kind of scary because we, we used to work in one way, but we made a lot of happy, we made accidents that we ended up keeping. Yeah. You know, so we did something, I'd do something wrong. Yeah. And it would create a news, and you'd be like, oh, that's quite good. So it let us experiment in a way that we wouldn't have done in a traditional studio because those mistakes wouldn't have happened in the first place. Right. So it was quite, and that got me really interested in it. And then when Love and Money split up after that, uh, James and I did a film track together. And again, we did that in my small studio that I then built in the basement of yeah. Savannah. And that just got me interested. Uh, my first studio was a kind of disaster. And I say this to students because I knew nothing except how to work the studio, didn't let how to generate business or anything. Mm -hmm. So I, I did a wee, a wee business course and did that and then relaunched uh, and moved premises and, and then I ran studios for years after that. Yeah, yeah. And you, you worked with um, a lot of the, you know, so we've got, we've got a, you know, we've got a few mutual friends. So my, again, speaking to you, you spoke to people, obviously, Donald Choi, you've mentioned, uh, Julie Fowlis, a lot yeah. of the, 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 tra the traditional musicians? Yeah, well, I, I started, I've done most of Julie's stuff. I didn't do her last record, but I start, did her first record, you know, did four records with her. Yeah. And um, she, she didn't have a lot of experience in the studio when I first worked with her. And we just really like working together. You know, it's been great watching her develop into being such a, a success. Yeah, yeah. She's a good artist. So, on a long list of an Oscar as well for the one of her songs was on the long list yeah. of Oscar. So she, you, 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 which you, you know, you, you must be look. Do you look on like a proud? Uh, <laughs> team, not not father, but team coach or something like that. Uh, that was uh, so. That was brave, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that was an interesting thing for me because it had nothing to do with the film, obviously. But for the original trailer, they used a track that I'd done with Julian mixed, so that was nice, yeah. and also. One of the pipers on the album used to be my next door neighbour when we were kids. Right. So wow. the guy that wrote the score is also from Uddingston. So three people that appear on this, the, this, the film are from Uddingston. Wow. wow, that is bizarre, brilliant. 
But uh, yeah, so the traditional stuff came really through working with Capper Keeley. Because uh, it's not my background at all. As I said, my father was a big traditional music fan, but I hadn't really even listened to much traditional music. And Capper Keeley had a studio and I had the room next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I ended up co-producing a track on Karen Matheson's first solo album, a track called Calgary. Uh, and then I ended up just working, you know, I, I could operate Crow Tools, they didn't have that, and mm-hmm. uh, that was a thing at the time, you know. And through engineering a lot of, mixing a lot of Kappa Keely album, mm-hmm. then a lot of other traditional musicians yeah. started asking me to work with them because obviously that Kappa Keely was a hugely influential band, yeah. so, so a lot of my work came from that area, and I ended up working with a lot of great traditional Gaelic artists, and I suppose that has now, over those 20 years, has influenced the way I'm working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from something I knew nothing about is now, you know, and, and ways coming out in, in my own, yeah. you know, my own yeah. compositions and so forth. So that's, that's been fantastic. And there's a track on the, the new album that Donald and I wrote together as well, so that's really cool. Academia cut into your life, and at what point did you think, well, this is there's also something I can do is teach other people to do this? Yeah, well, again, that came through. Uh, I mean, the career, change of career for me, and two things you know, after a lot of money, starting the studios and getting into education, there was partly a need to do that yes. because I had two young children, yeah, and you know. I had I had to form a career that I could earn a living, and I'm not a performer, I'm not a singer, yeah. so it wasn't a straightforward choice for me to continue that. And a friend of mine, uh, Brian Young, that owns Savas Studios, 
uh, work to Perth College teaching. And they needed someone to come in and do, at that time, you know, it was really basic stuff on Atari, so using Atari computers for using Cubase and teaching part about MIDI technology and that kind of thing. So he knew I was averse with that area and said, would I be interested? So I went along for an interview with thought I had the kind of right personality for, for teaching in the class. And I did that for a couple of years and it grew from a day to a couple of days to two and a half days a week, that kind of thing. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, one of my students at that, Martin Bond, now plays on the record so all these years later. So I'm still in touch with some of those students and that, 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 was, a, that was really good. It was a good experience because the staff there were very supportive. And it, it led me into that. And then my friend Eric Joseph, that owns a company, MediaSpec, asked me to train BBC staff on Pro Tools early times. Pro Tools, so I did that. And then it was Jim Prime. Uh, we had a mutual friend, uh, Stephen, uh, a mutual friend, uh, Lindsay Chapman. And they had been talking, and Jim said they were looking for someone to. Uh, get involved with a new course down in the air, which has become you know, commercial music. And Jim got in touch with me and asked me if I would go down and talk to him and advise him on what equipment to buy and give him some support and stuff like that. And then through the conversation, he said, look, would you be interested in delivering one of the modules? And it was just like that. And that's how I got into yeah. it. So that was part, I did that for 10 years as a, 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 an associate or guest lecturer, as we called it at the time. And then... A job came up at the university and I was asked to apply for that. So I did, got the job, and then that led me to do a degree and so forth after that. Because when you go, when you're my age, there wasn't any music degrees <laughs> when I was studying. So, so I did a music technology degree after that and so forth. It, it's, so I've now been with UWS for, you know, 20 years. It's incredible. Yeah. And do you, get a, do, you know, do you get a buzz from seeing younger it's oh, fantastic, you know, it's like being in the industry for this length of time and now, you know, if I go to concerts or festivals or whatever, there's so many of the graduates from the course yeah. working yeah. and I think that's one of the great things and, you know, there's a, some great uh, students and graduates that are out there working in, in all the different areas mm -hmm. of uh, the field. It's it, it really good, you know, and a lot of them stay in touch and it's great when you see them, you'll see them at different events and, and so forth. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. been it's been a very good uh, programme to be part of. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. yeah. In fact, it's, you know, with this situation with the uh, lockdown, COVID-19 situation, it's been kind of odd because everyone just stopped. So, you, yeah. you know, we're doing Zoom things with students and so forth, but you do miss that so social interaction. There is a a big part of that, especially within our industry, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be interesting to see how we would go from here, you know, obviously a lot of my stuff studio based, so it's slightly different, and we already discussed, you know, a lot of my own personal work is collaborative, and it's also file sharing, and all sorts of different ways of doing it, but the concert we were going to do is, is postponed to October, but we still don't really realistically know if that will go So look, looking forward, obviously we've got the third part, the third Star Wars <laughs> album. If you sort of, where, where are you at in that? Are you, have you, is well, it written or? 
Where I'm at with it, as I said, so when the Starless idea came around, that took me two a year or two to get yeah. the thing together. Uh, and then it took it, so it was from concept to coming out four years, and this one's been four years, although it's been finished for a year and a half. But the label was on with the original album, Marina, they weren't releasing anymore, uh, and I, I was just looking for a label, and I went to Last Night from Glasgow, and they said, oh, we'd love to do it. And this is a year past in August, so a year and a half. And they said, how's <laughs> August 2021? 20, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that won't work for me. Yeah. So we managed to agree May of this year. But, yeah. you know, that was, even that was a big wait for me. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm tr- I said the other day we were doing an online chat thing for people that bought the record. And uh, I said... I'm going to try and get, I thought I'm going to try and get the one the next one out for next May, and I thought there's no chance. So, two, I'm hoping to get it out two years from this one. Years from now, yeah. uh, that's my plan. So, and I've got four or five tracks of which three are finished. I'm really happy with. So maybe halfway. There will be or, there will be orchestration on it, but not every track this time. Uh, so yeah, so. I'm kind of, I'm on my way with you're on the, you're on the bus at least. And is there anyone, are you, are you at a point, are you reaching out, are you still reaching out to anybody? Yeah, Claire, uh, my manager's going to start that ball rolling again. A uh, few people we tried last time, we didn't get, try again. Uh, right, okay. And yeah, see yeah. who else we, we can get on board. Yeah, and some of the same people again, you know, keeps yeah. it, keep working with. Oh, no, uh, yeah. And I suppose just a kind of, Whimsical question, if there was anyone dead or alive that you could collaborate with, or to work with, that you'd maybe always... I know you were a big Bowie fan. I remember when we filmed him. Uh, yeah, well, Bowie would be nice, but that's not going to happen. Was no, was a Bowie well, one, one person I've been trying to get in touch with, and that will never happen, but we're going to try again, and it's still this Fraser. Right. She was the one that got away, you know. Right. Uh, so there's a couple, but yeah, Liz Fraser. I mean, I suppose if you said to me when I was starting a project, if you had a female singer and a male singer, it'd have been Liz Fraser and Paul Buchanan. Right. So I've got one. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's a, there's a good few people I'd like to work to with, but you know, it's as you see, it's it's kind of song thing as well. Like the song that Paul did, Starless, uh, that was written twenty years ago. Myself and Bobby Henry, who sadly passed away a few years ago, but Bobby and I wrote quite a lot together. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Karen Matheson's solo album, yeah. and Bobby worked with Jerry Burns and, and a great record. He was a great writer mm-hmm. and, uh, and producer. And we'd written that song t- together for Karen. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Karen would mind me saying this, but her voice worked in the chorus, but it didn't in the verse. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't, we never used it. And then I was uh, just unsure about it. And also, we hadn't, we'd get, the chorus, two verses, we didn't have the third verse. And I gave the back track to James Grant. Didn't do, he didn't do anything with it. Gave it to Ricky Ross, he didn't do anything with it. Tried lots of different people, different singers. Yeah. And then I, I just threw it away, so forget that. It's not going to happen. And then I thought about it, and all the singers had asked to sing on it, uh, with girls, you know, Ricky and stuff, I'd asked to rewrite, but uh, 
And I thought, well, maybe it's a guy's song. Yeah. And then I thought, if there was, and the theme partly was, it was at that time it was all Scottish singers, you know. I think in this one, and the new one, it still is, even though one of them lives in Australia, but uh, everyone's from Scotland originally. But that might change in the third album, we see. But at that point, I was looking to Scottish people and I thought, who would be this, this if it was to be a guy, who would be the guy I would ask? Who would be, and that's where the idea for Paul B. Cameron came. Yeah. But then when I thought about it, his delivery really works in the track. Mm -hmm. I've used Karen's vocal and, and the chorus on that track. So it was one of those things, so thinking about, well, why isn't this working? And then I, I kind of wrote the third voice, the third verse, because Bobby, as I said, had passed away. So, so songs, you know, sometimes don't throw them away. <laughs> they need a find a time. See then, they find a time. And also the other thing about that, you know, as I said, Asking people to do stuff's not easy for me, you know, it's not the kind of, I'm not that confident a person, I suppose. And I'd asked a friend if they had a contact for Paul Buchanan, because I don't, you know, Paul and I have had a few conversations, but we don't know which. And he said, oh, I'll get his manager's number. So I got in touch with him, I'd never heard anything. And then I, my brother, Mark, brother-in-law Mark was at school the year below, and I said, you know Paul, don't you? I said, yeah. I said, going to get in touch with him, thought he'd give me his number. He said, can't I give you his number? I was like, well, just get in touch with him, say, going to give me. So the next day, Paul Buchanan phoned me up. Well, that's, that's brilliant. So I said, oh, did Mark get in touch? He said, no, Mark who? And I said, Mark Warren. He said, no. He said, no. I'm, I'm working on a record and I was out looking for an engineer and Craig Armstrong recommended you. That's why I'm phoning. Uh -huh. I said, and he said, that's great. And he said, and also uh, apologies for not getting in touch about you track, but I've, had, I've been looking after my mum and stuff. So we, we chatted away and he agreed to do the track and so forth, which was brilliant. But the other thing about it for me was I asked him to do it because I thought, this will be amazing. You know? yeah. I'll work for this track. Yeah. But the, other, the side effect of that was also when I went to everyone else and said, Look, I'm doing a solo project or a collaborative project, whichever way you want to do it. Would you say, I could say, and they could say, Well, who else is doing it? And yeah. I could say, Paul Buchanan and Karen Matheson, people like, Yeah, I'm quite interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got a, bit, so yeah. a side effect of um, doing it, you know, it got other people interested. Yeah, added some real weight. Yeah. And it also, you know, that's not the reason for doing it, but it also it helped get some focus around the project. Yeah. You know, it's why it's radio and stuff like that. And you know, it's like once you've made the record, you want people to hear it. I'm faithless and fallen, careless and loving, deeper and dark like your eyes in the rain I'm thinking of mostly this anytime storm a sense of departure without loss or gain a star in the sky one shut down here is Oh 
Can you see one big super concert once you've done all three albums where you can <laughs> play them all back to back? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Okay. I mean, I'd like to, there is, Chris and I have been doing some shows. We've done a say shows, we've done a couple. And we've got other ones scheduled this year. We played a wee show in Abadella Hotel last year. And what we did was some previous songs some Friends Again songs and some Starless songs. So we're thinking of doing a few of those and that's, it's just going to be called an, an evening with Chris Thompson and Paul Deacon and we just place, you know, different things. Yeah. So, uh, so that, that, that lets us do it in a kind of stripped down. Yeah. You know, so, so, and you, I think you saw the, the video that we did yeah. of what the songs Calvary and, you know, we managed to do that without the strings and stuff like that and I think it sounded pretty good. So. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a plan, plan of food. Definitely, definitely. Paul, can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us in these weird times. I know as, as an academic, you've, you've obviously got to, you've got a lot of things to worry about, so <laughs> I appreciate taking the time. Uh, no, no problem at all. Thanks very much, Jimmy. Enjoyed it. Shut down A day of ghost, an uncertain touch, a complicity that maybe says too much. That's all for this time. Thanks very much to Paul for his time. And you can follow what Paul is up to on Twitter. He is at Paul underscore McGeekin or at Starless underscore music. And you can buy the new album, Earthbound, via the website starless.co.uk. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jamie here. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back soon with the next episode of How Did You End Up Here?